0: Our pericope of Scripture this morning is Psalm 91. Psalm could be divided in three parts. You have, first of all, the psalmist's own expression of faith in the first two verses. In verse 3, all the way through 13, you have his call to God's people to find refuge where he has because of the storms around and the troubles, enemies. And finally, verses 14 through 16, you have God's answer to not only Moses, but to God's people. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Surely he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eye shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked." And show him my salvation. Verses 1 and 2, our text. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, in this psalm, we are taught that God watches over the safety of his people. And God never, never fails them, no matter what dangers may threaten. We are then encouraged, aren't we, in our advance on our pilgrimage through this World with all kinds of perils and threats because we're secure in the confidence of God's protection. What a beautiful truth that we may and we must use. There are many who talk a lot about God's providence. And even believe that God exercises a special guardianship over his children, but few are found actually willing to trust and trust themselves and their safety to God. Where are you looking for your safety when troubles come around you? When it looks like our nation's going to go into a recession? Is your trust in somehow the stock markets that you have or in bonds that you might have, what uncertain things those are? Do you depend upon your president? Do you depend upon those in government somehow to help you out or keep you safe? The safety, the happiness that results from knowledge of God and his promises, that's our safety. A steadfast dependence that we keep on our God, on his promises, on his grace. Oh, the deadness of the soul that does not find delight in God's care for his own. No peace, no tranquility of mind for those who trust in themselves or other worldly things. We have this confidence, this confession of the psalmist because of God's grace and God's spirit in our lives. The author of this psalm is able to give instruction to God's people because he has first of all personally experienced this in his own life. For we cannot communicate true knowledge, can we, unless we deliver it not merely with the lips, but as something that God has revealed in our hearts and in our lives. And the psalmist there in verse 2 gives that evidence that what he's going to teach, God's safety in the midst of troubles and trials and enemies... He, first of all, experienced it himself. Who is that man, the psalmist? Well, we're not told, but it is a psalm that follows Psalm 90, which is a song of Moses. And you'll find much of the same terminology in these two psalms, especially that idea of God being our dwelling place. So most likely Moses. I want you to think of Moses' life of 120 years. He goes from a secure home to the worldly court of Pharaoh for about 40 years. He believes that he should be a deliverer of God's people. And so he kills an Egyptian who is mistreating one of his kinsmen. And the next day, when he's going to settle an argument between two of his fellow brothers, they say, who are you? In other words, he has to flee now for his life for another 40 years out there in the wilderness. And then finally, God calls him to go to Egypt And he has to confront that Pharaoh, stiff-necked and rebellious Pharaoh, who hardens his heart, but he's not the only one that's stiff-necked and rebellious, but the people that he has to take out of Egypt and lead for 40 years are stiff-necked and rebellious. Oh, Moses knows what it is to face terrors. But Moses is also the one who knows the all-sufficient care of our Most High God. What heavenly medicine for God's people, especially when fears or troubles or sorrows come in our life. The psalmist is saying, fear not. No matter what the circumstances are that you go through, God reigns on his throne. And so there is a secret place for us to dwell in. To abide, oh what a beautiful picture, to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We find rest, we find peace, we find joy. We are strengthened in our faith on our pilgrimage. So that's my theme, dwelling in the secret place. First of all, let's notice that secret place. Second of all, our dwelling there. And then thirdly, our satisfaction. What a beautiful, what a powerful expression of faith here. The description of a child of God. He has a secret place the secret place of the most high one or two weeks ago we were up here and my youngest grandchild took me by the hand and said grandpa grandpa you got to see my secret place down in the basement and so i let her take me by the hand we go downstairs And we opened the closet door that is underneath the stairway, and once you got past all the Christmas stuff that is stored there, there underneath the first landing, the three little girls would sit, talking to each other, playing games with one another. That was their secret place. Boys and girls, what secret place do you have? A secret place, perhaps, that you find that you're safe, or that you can just do what you want to do, or maybe even get away from dad and mom who are going to ask you to do some chores for them. What secret place do you have? Parents also like to get away at times from stress. So perhaps the one man goes out to the woods to go hunting or out to the lake to go fishing, or perhaps the mother goes to her sewing room and the safety of that, it keeps her mind busy on that, or a favorite room to read a book. Some place where we can go to get away and find safety. And that's really the idea of this secret place here. Why do you want a secret place? Because there are enemies who are out to get you, troubles that bombard you. What troubles? do you face in your life? What things perhaps keep you awake in the wee hours of the morning when you're lying in your bed and you can't sleep because anxious thoughts are there? And we all have at least three enemies. You boys and girls, young people in catechism, you know those three mortal enemies, don't you? The psalmist talks about these darts and arrows that fly by the day. And the old devil is all the time after God's people now because he could not catch up with Jesus and get rid of him, so he goes after the church. That devil is always aiming his darts at us. And that wicked world that we live in is always trying to allure us to join them like the Midianites did with Israel when they came near the promised land. But even worse than that devil with his arrows and worse than the sick, sinful world that you and I live in, our worst enemy is ourselves, isn't it? Our worst enemy is that old sinful nature that is so easily allured by the world or so easily listens to the temptations of Satan. We need a safe place. Moses was up there on the mountain, Mount Sinai, receiving the law. And he was kept in a cleft of the rock so that he could see God passing by and see God's backside. Probably up there, he was beginning to experience, too, a little bit less of the stress of those rebellious Israelites, clamoring for this or for that, or complaining or wishing they could be back in Egypt. But there, those people and their rebelliousness could not reach him. He was in a secret place, a safe place with his God. And may the same be true for you and for me. For in verse 2, Moses calls it a refuge and a fortress, boys and girls. Probably in books, you have seen castles, castles with towers on the wall and a moat around it to try to prevent an enemy to come coming in and destroying you. Or the word fortress, which has the word fort in it, forts that the settlers out west would build so that they could protect the people when there would be Indian attacks. How great a need you and I have for that kind of safe place, hiding place, to escape trials and temptations, the sins that bombard us, the problems that we face. The problems that we face perhaps individually, or the problems that we face as individual families, or the problems we face together as a congregation or a denomination. What storm shelter do you run for? Do you run for those shelters as sinners before the wrath of God? Do you run there from Satan's arrows or darts? Do you run there when there is sickness in your family or the death of a loved one? Oh, to dwell safely and securely. And because of those kind of enemies and our own weakness, I want you to notice in the second place, if you're following the notes, the utter insufficiency of any man-made fortress. Man cannot provide safety, that and security for you those castles were not unbreachable and those fortresses at times could be born, uh, could be burned up or could have big ramps and catapults that would break down those walls we read in psalm 146 these words Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, and whose hope is in the Lord his God. So our safety and our hiding place is not in man, it is not and creatures of the dust because our life is like a vapor and our strength is like mist. The sun comes up and it's gone. Are you going to depend upon friends? You boys and girls who go through school, you know how easy one who was once a friend all of a sudden turns on you. We know as a congregation and a denomination, those who were brothers and sisters once with us have turned against us, and now most of them will not even talk to us. No, our help is not in man. Isaiah 40, verse 30, even youths shall faint away and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. So where? Where does the psalmist then point us And the answer is up, up. Our eyes away from things down here below. We lift up our head, we lift up our eyes to the Most High. There is our hiding place, our secret place, given to us by Him, given to us of Him. A true safe place, unfailing, for it is of the Most High, the one, the one and only true God. Let's narrow our focus a little bit more. We're looking up, we're looking up at heaven. What is this secret place? It is not so much a place, that is the figure used, a place. But, beloved, it is a person. Or should I say, it is in the three persons of our blessed Trinity. It is his gracious presence in our midst. The God who is transcendent is also the God who is imminent, always near us. Never off on a vacation, never slumbering, even as Elijah taunted those priests of Baal. But God is near and in his people. God came very near, didn't he? In his son, Jesus Christ, whose name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. For those 33 years, Christ Jesus walking our pilgrimage with us, bearing the wrath of God for our sins. And when he goes up into heaven, he says to his disciples, but fear not, have comfort. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. And I am going to come to you, and I'm going to manifest myself when? Oh, yes, at the end of the world, but sooner than that after Christ's ascension on the 50th day after his resurrection Christ came to his disciples in his Holy Spirit God dwelling in their hearts God's presence Do you know that hiding place, that secure place? As Moses says in verse 2, he is a refuge, he is a fortress. Psalm 31, verse 20, Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues or again from psalm 27 verse 5 for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me he shall set me up on a rock you see the psalmist there in psalm 27 is connecting that secret place with the tabernacle that was right in the midst of the tents of israel Where that tabernacle, there was that outer court with a brazen altar where the burnt offerings were made to God. Then in the holy place, there was the table of showbread, and there was the altar of incense, picturing the prayers of God's people going up. And there was the lamp burning. And in the most holy place, that is the Holy of Holies, There was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on it and covering the mercy seat were the two cherubim with their wings spread out over that mercy seat. God with them. The cloud of glory, the Shekinah, coming down on that tabernacle, God in the midst of his peoples. And the prayers that God's people then would make to their God... God accepts. He accepts because of the shed blood that was put upon that mercy seat once a year. What we're talking, beloved, here is about God's gracious covenant and protective care for God's people in the midst of many, many different enemies. How gracious God is he was watching, he was covering, he was sheltering, he was saving his people, he was bringing them into the promised land. Now I want to take the picture that Moses paints for himself and for God's people in the wilderness wandering to you and to me. Our secret place, our refuge, isn't it in the very embrace of our God? His presence, His grace, His mercy, His love. The God who reconciles us to Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ, who came down to save. To cover us, like God covered Adam and Eve with clothing, He covers us with His own righteousness. He averts God's wrath. He saves us. He leads us. He guides us. What do you think, boys and girls? Isn't this a far better hiding place than underneath the stairs? Isn't this better than the walls of a city that can fall down like the walls of Jericho? Isn't this better than castles or moats around them? A safe place. A hiding place. Do you know that place, beloved? Do you experientially know God as your Father in Christ Jesus? Do you know, do you experience that when you come into His presence, you are welcomed, welcomed as a dear friend, welcomed as a child? Isn't that the beauty of our worship service? God speaks to us before anything else. And God says, I love you. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's God speaking his love. An eternal love. A love that reconciled us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And nothing, nothing is able to set us aside or apart from that love of God in Christ Jesus. Are you overwhelmed with troubles, sins, physical troubles, trials, difficulties, personally, as a family, as a church family, and as a denomination? Trials come. Professor Inglesma wrote a letter to his kids. He says, Yes, with that schism that took place, what a trial God gave to us. A trial probably sent to prepare us for the next trial that comes. And haven't we seen that with the terrible sin of abuse in our denomination? But we're not left to ourselves with all our trials and troubles and sorrows. We are sheltered in the hands of God. He is in our midst. What a safe place to be in God's hands. Sometimes, boys and girls, maybe you can remember back when you were young and there would be all kinds of thundering and lightning at night and you'd be scared and there you go running and you would jump into dad Mum's mom's bed with them and cover up with a blanket. Yes, that was temporarily a safe place for you, but we have a hiding place, a safe place in God himself being held in his hands all through our life. So notice with me then my second point, our dwelling. There, in that safe place or that secret place of the Most High. It's the only shelter, it's the only safe place from any trials or troubles that we have. And this hiding place, this secret place, isn't opened up for us just once in a while when there's a trouble. There are some people that like to treat God like that, like a fire engine. If the house is on fire, yeah, you want that fire truck there, but hey, don't park it in front of my house every day. I I don't want you here unless there's a fire. Sad to say, that's the way sometimes people treat our Lord Jesus Christ. They want a Savior, but not one who rules them, a Lord. Our secret place, our safe place, is not opened up for us just for a little while, for short little visits. When it's cold and it's snowy outside, come December and January, I would love to be for a visit down in Florida for a week or two. But that's a visit, isn't it? I've got my work and I've got my family back up here. Unlike a short visit, The psalmist is saying, he that, notice verse 1, dwells in the secret place. Verse 1, he abides under the shadow of the Almighty. And then verse 9, he says, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation... Notice dwelling there is in the present tense with a continual attitude there, every day staying there. God, through the Emmanuel, draws us to himself, draws us irresistibly. He is our shepherd. He never lets down his sheep or his lambs. You see, that verb to dwell is really the whole heart of the covenant of God. It's the essence of the covenant. God takes us to himself and binds us to himself. We live in his presence. That's what our worship is all about, isn't it? Beautiful speech back and forth. Dialogue. God speaks to us And then we sing a song to him. He speaks to us and we lift up our prayers. He speaks to us, we give of our gifts. He speaks to us and we keep our ears open to hear what the Spirit has to say. It's the life of the covenant. God with us. And that is, beloved, a permanent residence. God keeps us there, and no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you remember that before the crucifixion, in the tabernacle there was a very thick curtain hanging from top to bottom, separating the rest of the tabernacle from the most holy place? because no one could come into that most holy place because God is so holy. He will not have sinners trampling his court. Only the high priest could come once a year, and that is with the blood of the sacrifice, picturing the blood of our Lord Jesus. But what happened? What was pictured in type is now carried out in the New Testament when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. How thoroughly were they removed? That curtain was torn from top to bottom. There is no more restrictions. You and I can come directly to Christ Jesus. Why? Because our sins were taken away from us and we are clothed with his righteousness. God speaking to us and us speaking to God. How beautiful. How unlike the fortresses of this world that cannot keep evil out, hidden in our God forever, we are made strong. We are made safe. That's what the psalmist is saying. He says, I am safe. I am secure. And therefore there is now peace in my life. Nothing can take me away from my God. Nothing can pluck me out of my Father's hands. I live in the presence of God. Do you realize that each day of your life, young people, as you go on dates, do you realize that you are doing your date, having your date in the presence of God? The way that husbands and wives deal with each other, we are in the presence of God. The way that parents and children react to each other, We're in the presence of God. Boys and girls, not only in the classroom where the teacher is watching, but also out in the playground. How you treat your fellow students, you're in the presence of God. And now notice how safe he feels there. He has four different names given for our God. We read that he is the Most High, he is the Almighty. He says, I will say of the Lord, in capital letters, Jehovah, my God. Now, why in the world is Moses with this confession of faith using four different names for God? And the answer is because those names set forth the attributes of God in his work that he is doing. The Most High cannot be breached. He is the Almighty, El Shaddai. Nothing is impossible for Him. No one can stand against Him. He is Jehovah, the self-existent God, the eternal God, the covenant God. I am that I am. He is Elohim, my God, never leaves me, never fails me. He is, I am perfectly safe. Do you know that safety? Safety in the midst of trouble. One of our stanzas in um, Psalter number 17 brings it out beautifully. Jehovah will a refuge prove, a refuge strong for all the oppressed, a safe retreat where weary souls in troublous times may surely rest. In troublous times... May surely rest. There's a beautiful hymn. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before Thee near to the heart of God. Let's apply this a moment. God is our help. May we see that in the troubles of this life or the troubles that we have in our families or the troubles that we are experiencing that in our denomination. We are preserved. Yes, we go through many struggles and trials and difficulties, but we're preserved in the secret place of the most high. One place one person, the triune God. And the psalmist then says, I will say in him I will trust. He experiences here a peace in his heart that passes all understanding. He says, I abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Every day underneath that shadow of the Almighty. Now sometimes shadows are scary. Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not alone. His rod and staff are present with me. But here, shadow is given in the positive idea. Under a shadow, Israel had to go 40 years in that dry wilderness. That sun beating down 90, 100, maybe 110 degrees. But God covered his people by day with his, the shadow of the cloud. Kept safe for 40 years, led them by night by a pillar of fire. Or perhaps Moses is thinking here of exactly the plans that he took down from Mount Sinai of the tabernacle that secret place there in the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, God in their midst with the mercy seat and the wings of the cherubim over that mercy seat. And yes, you might remember David's son Adonijah when he tried to take the throne. He goes running to the tabernacle, to the horns on the altar and hangs on to them for dear life. Or, once Israel was established, they had the six cities of refuge. If one accidentally killed another person, they could run there for refuge. That is what our God is. We are underneath the shadow of his wings. I want you to think a moment, boys and girls, of a chicken. With its wings spread over the little chicks when there's a storm outside. We read in Psalm 17, verse 8, Keep me as the apple of thine eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. What a beautiful picture. Let's apply that. How will you and I run to, and how will you and I dwell and abide under that shadow of the Almighty. You see, he who has God as his friend has fellowship with God and walks with God and talks with God. He makes God his shelter. So how do we now concretely dwell under the shadow of the Almighty? First of all, take His promises Take his promises in his word and cling to them. When you're being bothered with anxious thoughts about tomorrow or the darts of the evil one or the temptations that come to your own body, cling to God's promises. Read them. Have your devotions. Begin your day with God's promises so that when those troubles or trials come to you, you are not frightened or anxious. So cling to those promises, read those promises over and over, and then second of all, pray those promises. Go to the throne of your Father in heaven and say, Father, you have said this to me, and I believe it. I will not be afraid what man can do to me thirdly dwell there in this secret place of the most high under the shadow of the almighty by a lively faith a faith that was given to you a faith that is worked in you a faith that is being strengthened in you in your devotions in your worship services and now acting on that faith, taking that faith, and believing. Say those words to the Lord, Thou art my refuge, my high tower. What can man do to me? That's what the home is all about, isn't it? For that fellowship between different members of the family, and that's true of the covenant. That we enjoy the covenant life of God, where he has taken us to himself. Psalm 32, verse 7. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Again, Psalm 19. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Living our daily lives. Lodging ourselves under the shadow of the Almighty, His wings over us. What do we read in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19? But my God will supply all your need according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Is there any trouble or trial or enemy that you're confronting? God says, I'll supply your need, and I'll supply it, not because I don't have much in my pocket, but I have all the riches possible. There's nothing impossible for our God. I think want you to think of the Apostle Paul. We read in 2 Chronicles where Paul had prayed three different times about a thorn that was given to him in the flesh. A thorn of Satan, he even says, doesn't he? And he asked the Lord to take it away. He probably thought he could do a lot more for the Lord if he didn't have that hindrance in his life. Let me read his request in the Lord's answer and then his response. We read in verse 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And now how does the Apostle Paul respond? God's abundant grace. He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Strong in the Lord. Third point, our satisfaction. May you and I take the confession of faith of Moses here. Verse 2. In fact, will you put your name in there where the psalmist has his own pronoun, I? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Put your name there. For he has made you his child, his friend, so that you can dwell in his hands, in his presence, safe and secure. Beautiful. What a horrible thing if a person knows all about God and knows all about Jesus, but does not know them as their God, their Savior, their Lord. And with that beautiful confession of faith, there's God's answer at the end of the psalm. Because he, that's the psalmist now, because he has set his love upon me, Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's active faith, beloved, and God's response to the active faith. There's those who say that, no, we don't do any good works. Faith has activity, because he has set his love upon me. Is that you? Is that me? Can you say, I have set my love upon God? His answer, therefore will I deliver him. Again, because he hath known my name. Do you know him? Do you know him experientially? Then he says, I will set him up on high. He shall call upon me. Is that you and me? beginning your day in prayer, ending your day in prayer, prayer with the children around the tables, constantly call upon Him, God's promise, I will answer Him. I'll be with Him in trouble. I'll deliver Him and honor Him. With long life will I satisfy Him and show my salvation. Long life, oh, maybe not so long in this this world, but long life because it's unending. For when we die, we go to be with Christ Jesus. And when Christ comes again, body and soul, we're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth. Safe am I, safe am I, yep, in the hands of my God. Amen. Father in heaven, Trials are good for us, along with the troubles, persecutions here in this world, because we realize this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our eye is fixed upon heaven above, and our eye is fixed upon our God and His Christ. And we're looking forward to the day, now already by faith we dwell in Thy presence, but that day. Body and soul, we will be with thee forever. Come then, O Lord, our troubled hearts and souls. When we go through trials in our life, sicknesses or pain or distress, lead us. Lead us to the rock that's higher than us. We pray in Jesus' name.